Today is going to be awkward, okay? Today is going to be uncomfortable. How many are excited about that? Yeah, let's get weird, right? Uh, today's foundational truth is this. God created sex and has a design and a plan for it. So if you're here and you haven't had that talk with your kids yet and you don't want to do it after the service today, hey, maybe it's a great opportunity. I don't know. Uh, my parents gave me a book when I was like 18, and it worked great. Uh, <laughs> you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Hopefully they're not watching right now. Uh, but here's the truth today. What we do in our body matters. And the Bible has thoughts on this topic that can help you build a better life. And there's perhaps no other subject in the Bible that is more countercultural than the subject of moral boundaries and sexual purity. We are living in a country that today worships our desires and almost nothing is taboo. Sex is constantly thrown in our faces by social media, by television. And along with that comes unrealistic expectations, fake uh, bodies that aren't real and that make us feel like we don't stack up. People that are switching partners every other episode. But the Bible gives us boundaries. And the Bible places guardrails around some desires in us. And we might not always agree with it. We might not always understand why God has put those guardrails up. But it was God that created sex. And God gave us the ability to have sex. And sex is good. But God's plan is that sex would be experienced in the safety of a loving caring and selfless lifelong covenant between a man and a woman that we call marriage. Hebrews 13:4 tells us to let marriage be held in honor among all and that the, let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God has a plan for this gift of sex. And what we do in the bedroom is God's business. This area of sex and romance and love and when it becomes a God, it has ruined people's lives. But God has a plan to save us from all that. Now, but there was a time, if you've grown up in church, there was a time in church, maybe 20 years ago or so, where we lifted up purity as the ultimate badge of honor for the Christian. And they gave us rings and they had us sign pledges. I went to a Christian school growing up, and I remember an assembly that we had where they had us sign all these pledges, and they took our pictures with them. I'm not even sure what, if I knew what sex was at that point. Remember, I got a book at like 18. So, <laughs> Another time, I remember a pastor preaching a service, uh, and he passed a rose around the room. And by the time it made it back, it was all broken, and it was, the petals had all fallen off, and uh, it was just an illustration that no one would want that rose. And they, they made this tie to the fact that that's how it's like with purity as well. But someone once said this, Jesus wants the rose. And there is forgiveness, and it, there is not a permanent black mark on your life if you have failed. Because God's love is big and his forgiveness is deep. Obviously, it's not wrong to teach young people that God set up boundaries in their lives. That's what we're doing today. But there were people that were hurt by that movement for several reasons. One, 
It emphasized virginity over other types of holiness, and it was tempting to place your pride in that or become judgmental, and we are not saved by our virginity. We are saved by the gospel, and the gospel is big enough to cover anybody's sins. Secondly, it promised that if you did things right, then all your hopes and dreams would be fulfilled by a future spouse. But that's a lot to put on a future person. And a lot of expectations that were unrealistic and unloving and unselfish for that future marriage with a spouse. Thirdly, it gave the impression that if you failed in this area, that you were damaged goods. Often highlighted by horror stories about shame and guilt. And lastly, this movement that we had disproportionately amounted, uh, uh, gave a disproportionate amount of blame for sexual sins uh, to the females. To the point that at times they were seen as equally guilty when they suffered abuse or assault with the accusation that it happened because they were what they were wearing, which is horrendous and terrible. No female deserves abuse or assault ever, regardless of what she wears. But I'm here today to tell you this. No matter what you have done in the past, there is full covering forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. And in Christ is where we find our purpose and fulfillment. You are not damaged goods today. No matter what you've done, Jesus loves you. This I know. So it's no surprise that there have been times as Christians that we have gotten things wrong and overemphasized something. It wasn't the first time and it won't be the last. But we need to be sure that we don't overcorrect to the point that we throw out or excuse away what God's word says. Maybe 20 years ago, we did promote an unhealthy outlook on how God views sex and on modesty. We pushed fear and guilt and shame, but two wrongs don't make a right. Every Christian should know that God does have plans and boundaries for our sex life. And he does have ideas about how we should and we shouldn't dress. But you can trust him. God has good plans for you. And those plans all look different. Maybe God's plans for you is singleness. And that's okay. You're not half a person if you don't have a significant other. Jesus loves you just as much as any married or dating person. Single people are not second-class citizens. And the church needs to stop treating people that way. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7.34 that a single person might even have more potential to focus on the Lord because they aren't so closely tied to this world. Paul even said, I wish more people had the gift of singleness so that they would have more time for serving Christ. But social media, television, friends, they all want to push us. Your grandma probably all wants to push us into relationships. But it's a gift to be single. Whether you're 14 or 45, there's no shame in singleness. By the way, for you jokesters out there, it's rude to make jokes about singleness to people. Steer clear, big tuna. Maybe you know someone that struggles with same-sex desires, and you care about that person, and you should. I have people like that in my life, and maybe you're confused because it feels wrong for you to expect them not to fulfill those desires. But God has given us this gift of sex in the context of a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And that means anything outside of that is sin. And that includes intimacy before marriage, 
That includes intimacy with someone outside of your marriage. That includes pornography. I told you we were going to get uncomfortable, guys. Y'all thought I was joking. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says this, but I say to you that everyone that looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Psychology Today uh, reports that 85% of both men and women that ha uh, were polled had looked at pornography in the last six months. That's not God's plan for you. And you should know that there is freedom for you that can be found in Jesus Christ to break those chains. Our hearts and our minds matter. And it matters not just what we do on the outside, but in our inner life as well. And Jesus gives us this extreme analogy here where he says to go as far as to do this extreme act in order to be holy. Do whatever it takes. And maybe for you that means that you don't watch some TV shows that push your mind that way. Maybe that means you turn on the content filter on your phone and give someone else the code so that you can't look things up. Whatever it takes, being willing to get rid of anything and to do anything to be pure. Job tells us in chapter 31, verse 1, about a promise that he made. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Maybe that's the type of decision that you need to make today. Partaking in the gift of sex outside of God's design hurts us. And if we want to live a life with the eternal view, we can't be controlled by our desires. And there are many people that are crippled in our churches today because of these sexual sins that are distracting them and leaving them with guilt and shame and making them feel like there's no hope for them. And they can't do anything for Christ. They can't tell anybody about Jesus because of these sins that have them bound. No one wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I wasn't excited. I tried to get Josh to preach this message. He wouldn't do it. <laughs> so it might seem wrong at first to tell someone that has a desire not to fulfill that desire. We all have desires that it's better for us not to fulfill. The Ten Commandments were only created because God knew that we would have desires outside of his plan. The desire to lie, the desire to worship things that aren't God, to steal, to murder. So it's not weird that we have desires that it's better for us not to fulfill. But see, that's the thing. We don't worship our desires. We worship God. And when sex becomes a God, lust rules and reigns. Romans 1, 24 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Because they became futile in their thinking, and their fuel, uh, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For women exchanged their natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and uh, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This shows us a picture of what it looks like when a culture is driven by its desires to do things that are outside of God's design. And this problem of same-sex attractiveness is not new. It existed in the early church, so much so that they had to address it. We don't have to like it. You can even say that if it was up to you, you would do something different, but you cannot deny that this is what the Bible says, and the Bible is clear. And this is only one example from Scripture, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Jackie Hill Perry is an author, a musician, a poet, and a follower of Jesus that also struggles with same-sex attraction. And she said this. She said, I loved my girlfriend too much to not be appalled by the prospect of laying aside not only the way I loved, but who I loved. I loved her and she loved me, but God loved me more. So much so that he wouldn't have me going about the rest of my life convinced that a creature's love was better than a king's. It's often controversial and countercultural, but God's way is the best way. Have faith. And even when we don't want to believe what God's word says, it's all we have. And we can't start taking things out and excusing things away and, and, and asking ourselves, uh, uh, how can we prof, you know, interpret this in a different way to where I'm not uncomfortable? Now, what we can't do is harp on same-sex relationships and talk about how they're wrong and view pornography in secret or have intimacy before marriage or develop romantic relationships outside of our marriage. How many of our, us are stunted in our spiritual growth because we have fostered sexual sin and haven't addressed it? God has plans for you, and his plans are different than the world's plans. And this area of sexual morality is supposed to be one of those ways that we stick out as Christians in this world. Not because we're hateful, not because we're judgmental, but because, like the Bible says in Romans 12:1, that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our true and proper worship. We put our desires on the side and we give them up in order to worship our God. What we do in our body matters. Now, if we're honest, everybody would agree on some boundaries for our sexual desires. That's what the uh, Me Too movement was all about. People were saying that there are some desires and some context that it's wrong for me to act on my lust. And that is right. Sexual intimacy is a gift, and within the safety and commitment of the boundaries that God has created, it can be wonderful. But outside those boundaries that God has created, there's a lot of insecurity, and there's a lot of anxiety and self-destructiveness and seeking validation from others, putting our worth in someone else, codependency and emptiness and brokenness. Why? Because what we do in our body matters. And sex outside the boundaries that God has created can cause a lot of pain to ourselves, to our kids, to our families, to our spouses, to our friends. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul says, 
flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's something different about sexual sin. And our appetites cannot be quenched by filling them in every way possible. There's a right way to eat and a wrong way to eat, right? And that's just the same with our other desires as well. And sex is so much deeper than just physical. It's relational. And when you try and take sex out of a relational context, someone is going to get hurt. This relational aspect started all the way back at the beginning in Genesis 2.21. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up uh, its place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In the beginning, this one flesh was so much more than physical. It was a unity and a oneness in relationship, and that's where the gift of sex should live. Andy Stanley says, sex was designed by God as an expression of oneness in body that matches a couple's commitment to oneness in person and direction in life. Paul referenced these two people becoming one flesh in 1 Corinthians to warn us not to take this gift of life, uh, this gift of sex lightly. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 tells us very plainly, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God loves you. And he wants what is best for you. And his way is better even when it is difficult. And he is never keeping you from something that is good. Only from things that will hurt you and bring him Dishonored. Purity paves the way to intimacy. And this is truth number four of these seven wonders of God's word. That God created sex and has a design and a plan for it. We live in a confusing world. On one hand, people tell us that it's just sex, right? It's no big deal. But on the other hand, people tell us that sexual freedom is everything and any limitation on sex is hateful and oppressive. So is it no big deal or is it the biggest deal in the world? How confusing. Dean and Sarah says and compares our culture's obsession with sex like that worship of a God. And he says sex is a religion in our culture. And we're told that sex tells us who we are, how to act, and that sex gives us meaning and purpose. But these things biblically are not true. Sex is not who you are. Your identity is not found in your desires or human relational status, but ultimately in your relationship with Christ, your creator. Sex is also not about how you act or how you feel and why you feel the way you do. 
Your feelings change all the time. And one day you want something, the next day you're bored with it. The heart is a bad compass. And following our heart and feelings will lead us to pain every time. And sex is not the key to fulfillment and satisfaction. Indulging in our appetites never satisfy them. Sex outside of God's design will not lead to lasting joy. We commonly see this with people, especially celebrities, that just indulge in this type of lifestyle, end up in rehab for sex addictions that hurt themselves and those around them, or they have partner after partner and they leave a wake of pain behind them. God's design for sex is good. It's not just a list of rules to follow. God's plan for your life is to fulfill your purpose of glorifying him. And God loves you and he wants what is best for you. And his way is always better, even when it is difficult. He's never keeping you from something that is good for you. Only from things that will hurt you and bring him dishonor. So if you're here today and you've messed up in this area in your past, and maybe even people made you feel like an outcast and made you feel full of shame, know today that our God is a forgiving God. Run to him and be washed white as snow, and there be nothing between you and your God. Sin is sin in God's eyes, and my sin is no worse than anyone else's. God doesn't have to work any harder to forgive me than he does you, and the same goes for you. Jesus showed us how to react to someone that had fallen in sexual sin when he met that woman at the well with grace, not condemnation. Why? Because he had the water that could thirst, uh, quench her thirst. And he offers us today a purpose that doesn't leave us empty and broken. Come to him. Maybe you're doing good in this area that we talked about today. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Stay humble. You sin too. And you have problems with other areas most likely that you need to focus on. So don't look down on anyone else that, uh, for sins that you don't struggle with. Moral and sexual boundaries are wonders of God's word that will stand the test of time. And they are for our good. And even though these things that we talked about today are counter cultural. When we do things God's way, it will help us avoid a lot of pain and heartache and help us build a life that will last. God created sex and has a design and a plan for it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Obviously, you know, it's a different type of message this morning. If you're here for the first time, uh, this might be the only time in five years that I've preached just on sex. So don't give up on us yet. But this is an important thing. This is something that uh, is, has roots in our culture's fabric that is outside God's way. And this is a lot of what hinders people from coming to Christ, these things in their lives that they can't imagine giving up. But like Jackie Hill Perry said, how terrible for 
it to be that I would love the creature more than the creator, the one that made me and that has a purpose for me. Maybe you're here today and this is your opportunity today to get some of these things right. Maybe you're struggling with those secret sins and you need to do everything that you can to finally break free. Bible gave us, Jesus gave us this extreme example of going to grotesque lengths to make sure that we were pure between us and our Heavenly Father. There is freedom in holiness. Could you imagine shaking off that guilt and shame that you experience after you fall into these things that we've talked about? There is hope. There is freedom found for you and forgiveness found for you. Our God has so much grace and so much mercy. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past or you look back and say, well, God possibly could never possibly love me. That's not true. Let's make a commitment today to do what is necessary to tackle these things in our lives. Maybe that means you reach out to an accountability person to ask you uh, how you're doing every other day. Maybe you double down on spending time in prayer and maybe turning off whatever is distracting you. Maybe that means you come to CR on a, a Tuesday night and you tackle those problems with deep uh, accountability and stepping through God's word. If we want to be the church that God wants us to be, we've got to be holy. Maybe you've started some type of text message relationship with someone that's not your spouse. And you need to shut it down right now before you ruin something. There is nothing that is worth the pain that would follow. Whatever God's working in your heart about this morning, the band's going to play softly. I'm going to take just a few minutes to ask God to call us to a deeper holiness. Because we know that's what's best for us. Maybe you're here and you, once again, are someone that this isn't what you struggle with. That's awesome. That's amazing. Don't take pride in that. Give thanks to God for that right now. Ask him to reveal any other areas in your heart. someone that's broken hearted because of something in your past that, some, that someone did to you in this area. I'm so sorry for that. God's heart breaks. 
that someone would hurt you in that way. That pain is real. God wants to draw near to you in that hurt and pain. Maybe the step for you is to, is to walk through counseling with somebody. And to work on healing and, and not living in that right now. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you even have a relationship with God. We've talked a lot about what God wants for us. But you're not even sure that you're all in on Jesus. We've talked a lot about sin and there's all types of sin. This is just one aspect. But sin is what keeps us from God because God is a holy God. And he gave us the opportunity. He gave us a free will to choose our way or God's way. And over and over again, we have chosen our way. Sin and pain and death and brokenness flooded into this world. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to make a way that we could get to God. God in the flesh. God got off the throne and came to us because we couldn't get to him. Jesus walked this earth and lived a perfect and a holy life so that he could die on the cross in our place. An innocent person died for all of us guilty people so that we could come to God. On the third day, he rose again, bringing our salvation with him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to understand that you're a sinner. There's a penalty for that sin, a separation from God forever. But Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to suffer. Put your faith and trust in him and him alone today. You call out to him. The words aren't important. Not a magic prayer. You can call out right now and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. Turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you. God, save me. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. that's you today and you called out to God with a genuine heart not playing games not just going through the motions not just reciting words if you did that today I'd love to know about that if you write that on your connection card I accepted Jesus today it's the biggest thing in the world that's where it all starts when we get this thing called sin out of the way between our relationship with God. The Bible calls us, once we accept Jesus Christ, that we're no longer sinners, we are saints. And God, uh, through Jesus, gifted us his righteousness. It's an amazing thing. I'd love to know about that. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Dear Jesus, we love you. 
God, I pray as we talked about some difficult things today that you would uh, reveal your will through your Holy Spirit and illuminate these things in our lives. These things are countercultural. These things are things that don't make sense in society right now. God, we trust you. We have faith that your way is the best way. I pray for anybody, again, like we mentioned, Lord, that has any pain in their past from uh, these types of things, God, that you would begin to heal it, God, and that you would bring forgiveness and peace and hope and comfort through it all. In your name we pray. Amen.